0: All right, Adam. We'll we'll read those uh, 14 verses. That's the next section. I don't know that we'll limit ourselves to these, but 32 to 45.
1: They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized but to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you." that whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many.
0: All right. So we are in this final phase of Jesus' life as he's on his way to Jerusalem, and there's a sense of foreboding, uh, appropriately so. He's not been well received in Jerusalem on previous visits, probably less and less so. And um, Jesus is giving the twelve some specially privileged information, not like we would. If we were going somewhere and we were going to tell somebody, we tell them what we expected to happen. What does Jesus tell? What will happen. What will happen? This is not just his ideas about what might happen. He's telling them what, what is going to happen to him. He wants them to be ready and prepared. And so what does he say is going to happen to him?
1: He'll be delivered to the chief priests, condemned, handed over to the Gentiles, mocked, spit on, scourged, killed, and rise again.
0: That uh, is kind of... Uh, not what they want to hear, it is something Jesus has told them (coughs) in the previous two chapters where Mark (coughs) arranges this and uh, had hinted at even earlier something that's on Jesus' mind a lot and probably increasingly so as the time draws near and it's just very sad to think about we might say, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and some criminals are going to get a hold of me and they're going to rough me up and they're going to mug me and whatever but it wasn't criminals here. Who was it?
2: Chief priests and scribes.
0: Oh, all the people. You know, that's like saying, you know, I'm going up to this town and, and you know, the elders and deacons in the church are going to do this to me. I mean, you know, um, if if one of your loved ones called you up and said, you know, the elders of the church have really gotten upset with me. The first thing you're probably going to say is, What'd you do? What'd you do? That's exactly right. Where did, where did you go wrong? How did you mess up? You know, and, and I think that'd be your first reaction to this. You know, the chief priest and the and, scribes and condemned to death, handed over the Gentiles by the chief priest. He must be doing something horrible. That's what you would imagine from that. And then when he gets handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked, bit on, scourged, and killed. And, and that's just really, wow. That does not compute very easily for disciples who, first of all, wouldn't have wanted to lose Jesus. And secondly, think of all the things they'd seen him do. How are you going to kill Jesus? They <laughs> wouldn't expect that, not from Jesus. They, they really believe in Jesus. And so, you know, they don't ever seem to really get it. And you can certainly see that by what they do next. Do you have some thoughts and comments on this section in 32
1: to 34? It's kind of interesting. It's broken up into three little pieces. What the Jews will do, what the Gentiles will do, and what God will do.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. God will reverse the whole verdict of the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, James and John, two of Jesus' inner, inner circle, they come to Jesus, and don't you love how they begin the conversation? What do they say? (coughs) Do
1: this for us.
0: (laughs) Yes, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What does that sound like?
3: (laughs) three-year-old.
0: <laughs> yes! Will you do this? If I ask you something, will you do it? Now, why do they say that? Why do they ask it that way? Because they think he won't if he knows what it is. Exactly. Just the same reason as a three-year-old. <laughs> you know, you want to get the parent committed before you tell him what it is. Because you know if they you tell them what it is, they probably won't go for it. And uh, so... That tells you that I think they have some misgivings themselves about this request. And uh, Jesus, as a wise parent, says what? What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> Don't sign a blank check. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Well, what do they want?
3: Not much.
0: No, no, not much
3: that it is right and left hand in
0: glory <laughs> so what are they thinking about themselves and their own prestige, prestige and honor and, you know what they're going to get in this kingdom of Jesus they've been following Jesus for the long for a long time they're still kind of looking at this as what's what's there to gain Now, Jesus just told them about what he's going to give. And they're asking, what can they get? Not much disciples of Jesus yet, unfortunately. Um, What does Jesus say to them? What's the first thing he says to
1: them? You don't know what you're asking. They
0: sure didn't. Because if you stop and think about it, What is the next step of glory for Jesus?
1: Well, he's got to go down first. I guess you could say.
0: I think he was raised up on the cross. And I think that was a glory to Jesus. And so I think they had no idea what they were asking. Did they want to be on, you remember who was on the right and left hand of Jesus? I don't think that's what they had in mind. (laughs) They really didn't know what they were asking. Wow. Uh, You know, anytime we are selfish and sort of grasping, ah, it's going to come out bad. You know, it's going to make ourselves look foolish. It's going to lead us somewhere we don't want to go. They should never have been thinking this way. They should have never made this request. But Jesus says, well, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they say, sure. I don't know what that means. (laughs) You know, but, you know, I don't suppose they had any clue. But they do want those seats in glory. Whatever it takes. What did Jesus mean? And What would it be to drink the cup that he drinks? Experience
1: the judgment that he's going to experience.
0: I think that's exactly right. I think we're back to the concept developed a lot in the Old Testament of the cup of wrath. Jeremiah 25 is especially a good passage, Isaiah 51, and a number of other texts in the Old Testament. Uh, there's probably uh, maybe at least eight or ten texts in the Old Testament that make reference to the idea of, of when God wants to punish somebody, he prepares this cup of the wine of his wrath. It's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, like, like a, a venomous potion. And he gives it to the nation or the person or whatever that he wants to punish and they drink it and they stagger and they stumble and they vomit and they fall and, and it's, it's like you know it's like mixing up some sort of a, you know, evil potion that, that's going to to kill somebody and uh, that's a way of God describing his wrath and I think that's Jesus going to drink. The cup of God's wrath. That's actually actually what he's going to do. He was going to experience God's judgment against sin on the cross. He was punished in our place. Experienced the kind of punishment for sin that we won't have to experience because he did it for us. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross. There's a lot of debate about whether or not Jesus really was punished in a real way for sin outside of just the fact that he was physically killed I think, I'd like to see somebody who debates the side that no he never really was separated from God, no he never really did die in any spiritual sense, I'd like for them to explain how he took the cup, I think that's a pretty strong argument in favor of the fact God's wrath against sin was executed on him, seems to me like that's uh, that's a the correct conclusion from that. But I don't think they understood what he meant. That might, I, I will throw this out too. You think about Jesus saying that. Do you remember another statement Jesus made sort of like this? About the cup? Let this cup pass from me. What did he mean by that? He didn't just mean, well, don't make me have to die. He didn't just, don't make me have to die painfully. I think the cup is the cup of wrath, of punishment. He experienced some sort of torment and torture that was a whole lot worse than the physical pain. He drunk the wrath of God. Now, I think it's intriguing that Jesus mentions the cup a third time. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I wonder if when we take the cup, there isn't some symbolism <coughs> in the fact that it's a cup. And kind of paralleling the cup of wrath with his, we're drinking his blood, but that's really how the wrath of God was born. Hmm. So I think that's worth giving some thought to. At least. What do you think? Uh, comments and thoughts on the cup idea?
1: What does it mean in verse 39, that
0: they will drink the cup? That's a good question. I think they're going to experience, you know, serious punishment, serious uh, suffering. suffering, maybe even suffering as a result of sin. I don't think they were going to be being punished for their sins. Um, and so I think they don't drink the cup in as full a sense as he does. But they are going to drink a cup of suffering and pain and that. That's what I would say.
1: I was just wondering if they I was sort of thinking that this... Part of the cup, it'd be not the cup of God's wrath, but sort of like of man's wrath, that the disciples would suffer. They would drink the cup of man's wrath. They would be, you know... Yeah. They would suffer under man's condemnation. Yes. As, as opposed to I mean because yes. it doesn't it part of it doesn't make sense if it's God's wrath for yes. Isn't the, that the whole they, point their,
0: their suffering was not an atoning thing. They didn't they didn't sacrifice themselves in our place. And so there's a more limited sense, I think, for them. And that may be a good explanation of that. Clearly. While he says you're going to drink my cup and be baptized with my baptism, there are limitations to that in the sense that Jesus' death had a whole different effect. It had a whole different purpose. I think he's saying you're going to suffer like I've suffered. Not in every sense because Jesus suffered for our sins, but very painfully. What about the baptism part? No, he says... And you shall be baptized, well, and, and in verse 38. You know, are you able to be baptized, this is Mark 10, 38, be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. What do you mean? The baptism which which I, you have know, already been baptized. So what is he saying, the baptism with which I am baptized? Is, is it,
1: I'm thinking of like the baptism of fire and that. And general concept of going through a smelting process, so, or sort of suffering or being purified.
0: After all, what does baptism mean? English. Being immersed. <sighs> Luke 12 is a good passage on that, verse 49. I've come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. I think his this is long after he baptized by John he wasn't talking about that baptism but if this baptism to undergo is like immersion in the pain and suffering and anguish that he was going to go through when he said can you drink my cup can you be baptized by my baptism I bet you they didn't have any idea what he was talking about probably wasn't even good for them to volunteer until they found out what it was but they are like we are able to. yeah," you know Well, we'll do it. (laughs) Uh, It just shows you their eager desire to have those positions of glory on his right and left hand. That's what they want. Whatever it takes to get there. All right, bring it on. Does
1: the the combination of the two, the cup of wrath and the baptism? It almost seems like one is on the inside and one is on the outside, because I'm thinking that in a physical sense, one, you're drinking something, so something is going like inside of you, and with the fire it's usually outside, at least to begin with. Um, I don't know if that has That's any an
0: interesting idea. I not thought about that, but yeah. Because mm. otherwise it's almost like saying the same thing again. I think it almost is like saying the same thing again, which Jesus often does in kind of the parallelism, whatever, but yeah. That's that's interesting. Other thoughts and comments through verse 39?
2: Well, it's it's amazing that... We marvel that the disciples don't get it. You know, that they still see a physical kingdom. They still want the glory. They've walked with Jesus. They've been with Him now for, you know, two plus years. And yet, people in different stages of their lives as Christians many times exhibit the same things. They, They don't get it. And we marvel at that sometimes. And I guess not that it's expected that we're going to have these huge moments of of we don't get it, but I guess it's there is a growth process. And to expect that someone right off the bat just has a full comprehension and right frame of mind about everything related to the gospel is probably not realistic. I mean, if
0: they didn't get it... There's quite a few things they didn't get, to. Yeah. And I suspect their struggles are ours. I mean, I think some of this here is a pride issue. You know, they are too concerned about themselves and their own glory. You know, I mean, they've been around Jesus for a long time now. But they are still thinking, what What are we going to get in this kingdom? This is going to be really cool. I get to, you know, we want the, the best seats. I think they're trying to nudge out the other ten. You know, get there first. I mean... Those are horrible attitudes, but isn't that something that Christians struggle with a lot? Desire for glory, pride, the wanting to have almost the competition and rivalry, which is horrible. You know, I mean, even preachers trying to compete with each other, members in congregations, you know, wanting to, you know, be more honored than the others. And, you know, I think if the disciples had these problems, then... It's horrible, but it's not surprising, we do, too. So, Mark?
4: Um, they, some as well I think, they put so much into this, they gave up so much for it, now they, what's the attitude? Now it's the back of it. Yes,
0: indeed.
1: So, well, kind of going along with that, I mean, back in verse 29 and 30, Jesus had just said, you're going to get this stuff, um, at least in one sense, you're going to get this stuff. But so I'm kind of wondering if they're looking at it and going, "Okay, let's let's put in our, our you know our claim, our receipt for something." He said we're going to get. Let's go ahead and you know this is what we want.
0: I hadn't thought about this until just now. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, young people in a car. What do we claim? What are we, you know what I'm talking about yeah. we want to be the first one to call what shotgun, shotgun. <laughs> yep. isn't that right <laughs> they're calling shotgun <laughs> I had really thought about it quite like that but uh, yeah. uh, you know it's that what are you see in those things you see childish immature attitudes um, you know I want to be there I want to have the top position I want to get what I want to get for me. And in this case, not so much, I don't know, why do you want shotgun? I guess you can see better, or I don't know. Is it is it honor and prestige? I don't know, really know. You're seen. You're seen, okay. see those back seat. Yeah, yeah. So you got you got honor. Let's get yeah, I was always doing it just to beat up my friends. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I said it hurts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's kind of like that.
3: I always want to think of Peter as being the one that should have done it. <laughs> but, you know, and the fact that it's James and John and you read their later writings, and, you know, I always think of John as this very gentle person and not someone who's thinking of himself and climbing, you know, knocking people off the ladder as he climbs <laughs> and all that. I, I just don't want to think of him that way. But just like with Peter, you can just see their progression from where they are to where they end up at the end of the book. You know, the big book. You know, and to me, that's pretty heartening. You know, to see, okay, you can go from this kind of an attitude to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation. And, you know, get past it.
0: Jesus can do a lot with some pretty unpromising material. <laughs> that's an encouragement to yeah, us. Yeah,
2: he didn't give up on it.
0: And it's probably an exhortation for how we ought to deal with people sometimes we get way too quickly ready to just give up and throw it in the towel this person will never grow you know, they just, I can't believe we're back here again, you know and just, I can't believe they got such immature attitudes, you know, whatever you know, and, and of course we may have equally immature attitudes, but, but their immaturity is worse because it's in areas we don't have it, you know <laughs> and I think Jesus' patience is a good lesson for us I mean, wow, if anybody had the right to be absolutely put out. And, 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 and just after Jesus has talked about what he's going to go through. I mean, they're not sympathizing what, with what Jesus is saying. It kind of reminds you. You know people like this. Maybe you're like this. I don't know. But you know people like this. You come to him and you say, man, I'm, I'm really having a hard time right now. I'm really, I'm really down. Well, let me tell you about what happened uh, to my grandkids. You know? What did you, you know, whatever. I mean, immediately switched the subject to themselves. Didn't even hear what you said. Didn't care. You know, it's always, how quick can I get the conversation back focused on me? Well, that's, a lot, that's kind of like what they're doing. I mean, you're Jesus telling these horrible things he's going to go through. And next dash out of the box. Well, can we send on your glory? You know, right left hand. I mean, wow. Um, if I were Jesus... I think I said, you know, it, I, I, isn't there any better choices, any better candidates than these losers? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Wow. Juan,
4: <clears throat> well, what was that verse you ref- you were talking about with baptism um, earlier this year?
0: Luke 12, and 50.
4: And also, I guess, for me, I need to think about that as in, when I think about how much patience that Christ had with his, with his disciples. I mean, I guess, for me, I guess sometimes it's frustrating when I'm trying to teach someone something. And maybe, let's say, just for example, sake, for a month, I'm trying to teach them and just trying to pound something into someone's head for a whole month, this topic, and they don't get it. So I was like, this is never going to work. I might as well just give up. Well, Christ did this for years. <laughs> yes. I mean, this wasn't just a yes. three-week process. This was years. And he didn't, I mean, he wasn't even, obviously he died before they even got it. So, I mean, this is, he had patience beyond anything I can understand. And I guess, thinking about that, and it just hit me while I was thinking, I was like, you know, why do I even think about giving up on someone when I haven't done nearly as much as Christ has? And he sat there with them for years.
0: Pretty amazing what he did. He didn't, you know, Jesus has struck a balance. It's not like Jesus was just indulging them in this. I mean, Jesus is going to have some things to say here. You know, and he did consistently. I mean, he would tell them what they needed to hear and how they needed to change, but he didn't give up. And look at what he made out of.
2: Well, they didn't give up. I mean, they had yes. they had they had their moments, but yet they didn't say, "Wow, well, yes. enough of this," and, and went their way.
0: Absolutely. If somebody's loyal, be patient when they turn their back on. Uh, they don't want to hear anymore. They don't want to walk with the Lord anymore. <coughs> But when people are willing to try, and they're willing to keep listening, and they're willing to they're willing to take their uh, you know medicine, don't give up. Now, in forty, <laughs> Jesus says, "But to uh, sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared." Jesus says, you know, God didn't put me in charge of the seating arrangement. And uh, so, you're talking to the wrong person. And uh, that's that. So, it's not going to do any good for them to ask for this anyway. Even though they had no idea what it would mean, as we said. And then look at verse 41. What do you think about the reaction of the ten? here?
3: Why wouldn't they feel bad for Jesus?
0: Well, they are feeling bad, indignant. But selfishly. Why do you say selfishly? What are they thinking? They're
3: indignant with James and John thinking that... I think almost like, why didn't I ask that?
0: Yes! (laughs) Exactly! (laughs) Instead of, look at what
3: Jesus said, how can you treat Jesus that way?
0: They're afraid that now these guys have got the edge over them for the power slots. You know? Wow. So really, it isn't just James and John with the problem. It's the whole twelve. They all would, would do anything they could to grab the higher glory from the other ones. So they're interested in glory. They're selfish. Wow. Again, Jesus' patience, calling them to himself. <laughs> you know, here's a lesson time, guys. Jesus said to them, you know, it's, it's different in my kingdom than it is in the world. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Who's great? The guy who's got the highest position, the most glory, the most authority. And that's what people go for. People want more and more position, more status, and all that. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. In my kingdom, the greatest is the, biggest, is, the, is the lowest slave. It's totally inverted. You go up by going down. And and I don't think we get that. I don't think we see it that way. I think we still become competitive. and We still look for how am I being honored? You know, and how can I get attention? How can I get power? You know, is pe- are people really giving me my proper dignity? And all that kind of stuff. We act like Christ's kingdom is like the world. And it isn't. Comments on some of these ideas? First. I'm just wondering,
1: is it Is it sort of ironic that James and John are the two who asked in light of some of the things that they suffered later on? Kind of... uh,
0: James, I don't know about... Well, yeah, I mean, I suspect all the disciples suffered. We just know a little bit more about James and John.
1: Is there any place where... Jesus says to the other ten, the equivalent of you're going to drink this cup and be baptized like this. Well. I mean, I know the world will hate you. Yeah, I
0: mean, there's all kinds of things like that. I don't think he uses the cup in baptism, but there's plenty of things that say they're going to be rejected and persecuted and all. Look at 45. Jesus is the example. Here is the Son of Man. You know, wow. Why did He come? That's so powerful. To serve, to give. Man. Jesus came here not for His own glory. He came here to serve us. He lowered Himself. I mean, just, I don't think we could ever meditate enough on what Jesus did. Think about where he came from. Think about the glory. Think about the perfection. Think about how much he had to put up with to become a man, to live here, to be in these situations that are so disgusting and so degrading and so whatever. You see, it's just an amazing thing. that that Jesus would serve us he'd give himself for us so the pattern is we lower ourselves to serve others well but I'm too important to serve them well what about Jesus you know I I need to preserve myself for really you know important jobs what about Jesus you know he, he washed the disciples feet the son of God getting a towel and a wash basin and washing their feet. If we want to be like Jesus, we humble ourselves and we serve and we don't worry about power, position, and glory. It doesn't make any difference. Comments and thoughts?
4: Going back to them feeling indignant, um, I think that if I was in their place, I would kind of feel more indignant Thinking like, how could they ask for something like that? Um, do you think that might possibly be part of the attitude? Not necessarily that I wish I had asked first, but that you know, how could they do that?
0: Maybe, but knowing them, I doubt it. I mean, just because even at the Last Supper, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest and so forth. So I think it's more likely that they're indignant because they wish they had asked. That's I. Maybe you're. Maybe it is the other way, but their track record doesn't impress me. Other comments and thoughts?
2: It makes me think even about those who are leaders in the church that really they're they're servant leaders and again it's it's the whole <coughs> idea it's not to lord it over it's not to impose our will upon others but even leading in the church is is a servant
0: leadership doing it for the good of those you're leading not for your own exaltation i need did you have your hand i saw something all the way other comments and thoughts it's a good lesson you know we should never see glory we should never be trying to honor ourselves for exalting ourselves anything else through 45 the next section is an interesting contrast and I think intentionally so 46 to 52
2: and they came to Jericho and as he was going out from Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, arise. He's is calling for you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, uh, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road.
0: Jesus is there, Jericho, down by the Jordan River, and now he'll be going up to Jerusalem. Got a big crowd there, and there's this blind beggar sitting by the road. What was the beggar's name? You know what bar means at the beginning of a word in the New Testament? Son Son of. So he's the son of Timaeus. That's like, we have so many of our last names that incorporate son. Jackson, Johnson, Thompson, Robertson, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what we're saying. That's where that came from. So they just put the son at the beginning. You know, Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. And uh, what's this blind beggar doing? Yelling. Yeah. How would that have been? Distracting. Distracting. I'm annoying. Annoying seemed like we came to this one other time in some other passage, but but you know, it, it reminds me of a time I was passing out flyers in downtown Porto Alegre, Brazil. And there was this blind beggar. Wow. Oh, just hollering out constantly. Trying to get attention so people give him some money. It was, you know, I don't know how it is everywhere else, but in Brazil the the beggars are not the most camped <laughs> and uh, you know pleasant appearing <laughs> people and when he's just hollering and I'm standing there on the street just passing out flyers listening to this guy constantly you know holler out to try to get attention I just imagine what the crowd must have felt you know here's a blind beggar Hollering out, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. You didn't listen to that very long. And what did the crowd do? And what did that do to him? He, yeah, it just gets louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I think he did that probably almost with desperation. I think he's he's crying out, he's pleading, he's begging. What would you do? You're blind? You heard this guy who's passing by you, can't see him, but he's passing near you, you've heard he, he's healed blind people before. What are you going to do? You're going to let the crowd shut you up? So he just hollering. The crowd said, be quiet. You know, don't bother Jesus. This is, I mean, you know, that just be the sort of thing you, you know, as easily, as even citizens of the city. You would not want him to give the city a black eye in Jesus, you know, estimation. And uh, Jesus stopped, and he said, "What? I'm yes, call him here. Wow." Jesus is so different from any, everybody else and who he wants. Remember earlier in the chapter when the disciples were trying to turn the little children away from Jesus? Now they're trying to turn the blind beggar away from Jesus. Those are the ones Jesus wanted. You know, and, and what did the blind beggar do when they told him, Jesus is calling for you? He jumped up and went. Now that's interesting. Seems to me that we've already read a little bit about this kind of thing earlier in the chapter. Except um, it didn't turn out quite the same way. Isn't that true? The rich man was told...
1: He was told to sell all his possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow. Get rid
0: of everything he has and follow Jesus. Now, what was his choice on that?
1: that.
0: Yeah. Now they tell, tell this blind beggar, Jesus is calling you. What does he do? He goes, lays aside what he's got his coat. Probably doesn't have anything other than that. So he he, he gets rid of everything he has. See, it's so much easier for him. He didn't have anything to give up uh, that to me that's 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 you know an interesting thing the, he, you know the less you have to lose the easier it is to follow Jesus you know it's a lot easier to leave your cape than to leave all of that which ruler had huh? so he, he leaves that and he comes to Jesus and, and to me that there's you know you see this story dovetailing with really the three previous stories in this chapter. We've said it's, you know, they tried to get him not to come like they tried to get the children not to come. We've said that he gave up everything like the rich young ruler didn't. And then look at verse 51. What does Jesus say?
3: <laughs>
0: you heard that lying before? Where was that? <laughs> 36. That's 36 all over again. Only he gets a really different answer out of this blind man, doesn't he? <laughs> when he when he said, What do you want me to do for you to James and John? They said, We want to sit on your right hand and your left hand in glory. When he says to this blind man, what do you want me to do for you? What does he say?
1: Nothing I want to see again.
0: I want to, I wanna see. I want to regain my sight does that seem like a different kind of request than what James and John gave is he wanting glory is he, is he wanting something to exalt himself you know he wants to see he, want, he makes a simple request to be able to see he doesn't make a request to be honored to be glorified to sit anywhere Jesus granted his request. Jesus said, go. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight. And guess what he does? What the rich young ruler didn't do. So he's the contrast to the rich young ruler. He's the contrast to James and John. He's the one Jesus wants. Jesus wants the probably smelly and boisterous blind beggar. He wants the probably, maybe smelly, and uh, not very uh, polite little children. He didn't choose. Well, the rich young ruler didn't choose to follow him. James and John really weren't following him at that point. The people we would have said, there's who you want in this chapter. They're not with the program. The ones we wouldn't have wanted, the little children, the blind beggar. They're the ones that are with Jesus. I think it just reverses all of our concepts of what's worthwhile and what we're looking for. And we ought to just value our possessions so much less. And value our status and glory so much less. Comments and questions? It's
4: kind of interesting how the attitude changes, which Jesus starts when, uh, he just takes a note of him. Get up, he's
3: calling him. That must have been Exactly. I see the um, blind man's request as a statement of trust that Jesus will take care of him, and James and John's request as a lack of trust that Jesus will take care of them. You know, they should have known that... Jesus is going to make sure that they get what they need and
0: that they won't be seated where they should be. I think they want something more than what they need, and they knew it. (laughs) You know, in a way. I think the fact that they came and asked it that way when you do what we ask you, they know it's not a right request.
2: This blind man... I mean, to to have sight, he just
0: wanted to be like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. But James and John did not want to be like everybody else. It's those who are more desperate and those who realize they have so little who humble themselves more easily. It's harder to humble yourself when you're as great as what we are. You know, isn't that kind of the, the problem we've got? and wow, it's not difficult for a blind beggar to humble himself you know he wasn't he wasn't embarrassed about hollering out for the the vision you know he's desperate he ain't not got he got any dignity to to retain he not got anything to be embarrassed about you know some of our trouble is we get embarrassed to be followers of Jesus because we're so we got such high status we're so important we've got something to lose so much easier for people who don't have anything to lose they're not Nobody looks up to them anyway. They don't have any respect anyway. They Don't have any possessions anyway. If you if if this world didn't give you anything anyway, then then what do you got to lose? You know, if everybody looks down on you anyhow, why not holler out for Jesus? Other thoughts.
3: Did we say last week that this is a chiastic chapter?
0: I don't know whether he said it or not, maybe it is in a sense. What's
3: the center of it?
0: Well, the center I guess in that sense would be like 32 to 34 with what Jesus was going through. I'm not sure I want to say it's a chiasm, but but you do have Jesus accepting the children and Jesus accepting the blind beggar. You have essentially what amounts to the rejection of the rich young ruler and the rejection of James and John's request and in the middle you have what Jesus was going to go through. I like
2: like 31 uh, that seems to go both ways.
0: That could be, yeah, that'd be a a center point if we want to look at it that way. I just think it's fascinating, fascinating how this whole thing just fits together so perfectly. From 13 to 52, you can tell this is put together purposely. This is not random events. We're teaching a lesson right here and how really 46 to 52 just really caps off the prior three sections and uh, pulls that together. I just think it's really, really interesting the way it's, where it's written and the organization of it. Other comments and questions?
2: It's interesting how Mark does not record Jesus uh, you know, being concerned about getting this blind beggar
3: uh,
0: like spiffed up and into a tie and <laughs> 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 yes, indeed, Wow.
3: <laughs> you didn't turn him into an American.
0: My <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> God <laughs> uh, I mean, the more you read the especially I think the Gospels, but really everything in the New Testament, the harder it is to see the fixation we have on I don't know what the word is, almost on um, proper decorum, you know, Jesus was not really worried about decorum, I mean, the children are going to, you know, be loud and fussy, and the blind beggar is going to be, you know, unpleasant to look at, perhaps, or to smell, or whatever, I mean, who cares, Jesus was not focused on those things, he didn't care about those things, It's just Jesus is is appealing in a on a different basis. We want people to look good and to seem, you know we want them to seem successful. Jesus isn't concerned about our success in this life. He wants humility, he wants service, he wants dedication, he wants faith and love. The the very things we've come to value are not things Jesus values. I think that's perhaps part of the lesson. Makes you wonder, what would Jesus say to us? You know, if Jesus came in, would he be saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? Or would he be welcoming us? You know, are we the humble servants? Or are we the proud self-righteous ones? I mean, I think that's almost an individual thing we have to answer. But, but you read these passages, and wow. You know, I think, I think so often... We've been seeking what James and John were seeking. Good comments. Other comments, questions, thoughts? Okay. Well, he does finally get to Jerusalem. (laughs) This is a very momentous time. That means that The last six chapters of Mark out of 16 are devoted to the final week of Jesus' life and the aftermath. Um, There's a lot of emphasis on these last few days of Jesus' life. And um, this first incident in chapter 11 that brings Jesus into Jerusalem is probably putting everything together. I wouldn't stake my life on this, but probably on Sunday before Jesus was crucified on Friday. That's certainly the most common view, I think, probably is correct. You can you can deal with that however you want to. But look at what Jesus does here. Somebody read chapter 11 verses 1 to 10.
3: As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went, were in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest.
0: All right, he's getting close to Jerusalem. He calls two of his disciples, and he gives them some instructions. The instructions involve doing What? horse
3: theft.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, not exactly theft, but uh, horse uh, borrow, borrow ship perhaps. Uh, go to the village. You'll find a colt nobody's ever sat on. Bring it here. And if anybody said to you, why are you doing this? What are they supposed to say? The Lord need it. Yeah, the Lord has need of it. And he'll send it back here. Uh, so, I assume that Jesus made priority. <coughs> Now, there may be other explanations, but I'm assuming that Jesus had already arranged to get this colt, and, you know, so he sends these two and gives them instructions of what what to do. I'm impressed with the fact that at a, a pretty critical time, just a few days before his crucifixion, Jesus is in such calm control of everything. You know, he is always together mentally. He's never flustered. So he calls the two. He gives them the instructions. He tells them what to do in case somebody questions them. And he's got this, you know, working. And so they go. And sure enough, happens just like he said. They find the colt. They untie it. Some people ask him, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them just what Jesus said. And that was fine. And so they bring the colt to Jesus. Thoughts and comments on those first six verses?
1: How old was this this cult? I
0: don't
1: know. I was just wondering, I mean, it's like a young donkey or something, but I was trying to think, when was the last time that Jesus was in Jerusalem when he could have said, yeah, I need to have a cult waiting for me, you know, in six months or or whatever, and whether the cult would have actually been, you know, born by then, or I don't know anything about it horses and donkeys and things, other than the horses are pretty and the donkeys can kick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I uh, <laughs> mean, old enough to hold them. an adult. Yeah, that's what I'm, um, you know, just kind of... Because I'd always wondered how, you know, how they need just to give him the cold. Uh,
0: you know, there may be other explanations, I'm sure there are, but I mean, to me, he made arrangements, but maybe he made arrangements months before that's not a I don't that would certainly fit with Jesus' foreknowledge of what would happen somebody may want to present an alternative view as to what's going on here yeah but just
3: providence simple God arranged it
0: yes how so what do these people think when they say the Lord has need of it
3: I'm guessing they might have misunderstood who the Lord was maybe
0: maybe
3: Jedi mind control
0: yeah I don't know maybe
1: that's the kind of thing that I've always thought it was that it was just sort of a a, you know like this guy got a vision that said okay some you know At some point in time, someone's going to come along and they're going to try to take your (laughs) cult. And if they say the magic phrase, then let the (laughs) cult go.
0: I think you have a very active uh, (laughs) imagination. This would be correct. Yes, yes. I'm impressed by that. Not convinced, but impressed. I just wonder if
3: the people who gave permission really had the authority to give permission. You know, they're just standing around, bystanders.
0: Well, you know, I guess I hate to imagine that Jesus actually did sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, lift these animals without permission.
3: That's why I think it was just, pro- you know, it was providence that by God. You know, he knew that this cult would be available because that's what was going to happen next. And he knew it. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I
0: think uh, one person's guess is as good as another on that. I mean, I, that, I think that's, a, that's certainly a view that, that can be taken.
1: Uh, have you been around Sarah lately? <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: a of <loaded> questions.
4: <laughs> yeah. And when you're friends, you, you know, the minds kind of run together.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly the Lord would know everything. Uh, so, I mean, from that standpoint, you know, you could think see this as just a miracle of, uh, you know, knowing where the cult would be and knowing that people would let him have it and things like that.
2: Uh, maybe, so that maybe it's faith. Maybe it's faith that God would provide. And so God, God makes it happen to those who show perfect faith.
0: Well, yeah, but... You know how would you come to have faith that God's going to provide a Colt? <laughs> Unless I mean the only thing I can see in that is from Zechariah nine. Yeah, if yeah. you know, if there's something through that, so I don't think faith is just like saying, well, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll just believe that God's going to do this, and you know, I'll send somebody. You know, I, I'd probably, you know, um, how about a, you know, Corvette? You know. <laughs> you know uh,
3: I guess I see it kind of along the lines of, um, you know, paying the taxes and finding coins in the fish's mouth. I know that's yes. very miraculous. Yes. It's just God's providence. Yes. Simply, it was there. That's the way it's supposed to be. It was just accepted. you <laughs> Pay the tax. Well, it's just like the fish and the bread, you know. How did they know how many people was going to be
4: there to eat? And God did provide.
2: I don't know.
0: Who wants to go out and find my Corvette? <laughs> I, maybe so. I I mean, I'm not. I'm gun. really not trying to say that. You what? I got shotgun.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that may be the only gun there is in my <laughs> I have a question. There,
3: there are no like Old Testament references in my side
0: margins for this whole episode. Was this a fulfillment of prophecy? It sort of was. Zechariah 9. Yeah. Zach- it, it, it's kind of one of these prophecies that surprises us that it was fulfilled literally. At least it surprises me. But Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the colt, full of a donkey. And uh, I would think that could have been fulfilled without him literally riding on the colt. But it actually, it's like several prophecies that God fulfills literally, literally to kind of make sure we don't miss it. And I do believe that passage is cited in one of the other Gospels. So we know it is from, from there. It's not just a guess. But it does show us kind of the point about him riding in on the colt. This is a sign of humility on his part. Because he is the great king riding into his capital city. What would you expect him to be riding in?
1: Rewriting it?
0: Fiery steed. Fiery <laughs> steed or a stallion or a luxurious chariot or something like that. Uh, donkey's colt <clears throat> doesn't strike you as very glorious. And I think that was the point. It, it's humble. Jesus is the conquering king coming into his ca- capital on the colt of a donkey. And what do they do as he comes in? Place their
1: clothes and their black branches on
0: the roads. So are they trying to keep him from getting through? <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I, I would think first. But actually, what was their purpose in this?
3: Rolling out the red carpet.
0: I think exactly. This is, they're, they're putting a carpet down. Uh, even of their own cloaks for Jesus to ride over as he comes in. You know, these, uh, this colt won't be getting its... Uh, Feet muddy. Is, is it feet on a colt? I don't know. Hoofs. Hoofs. Yeah, hoofs. <laughs> I, I grew up right in this transition line between the roof and the roof. <laughs> I grew up with roof, and then I had a teacher that said it was roof, so I switched.
3: I grew up with roof. <laughs> Where
0: have <laughs> you been? <laughs> what? You're older than me. I, I was with roof at the beginning. Then I switched, so I think we're right on the borderline. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyhow, um, you know, they they are um, very uh, excited about Jesus' arrival. They're praising him as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're seeing this as the coming kingdom of our father David. I think they're imagining Jesus riding in to become king, an earthly king, political king. And they are, they are, you know, rolling out the carpet. They are shouting in, in praise and triumph. This is a, this fever peak of excitement. This Passover season, you've got lots of Galileans undoubtedly down there who would have been very fanatically partisan for Jesus. And so Jesus is riding in, and, uh, you know, tomorrow he'll be knocking off the Romans and taking over. That's kind of what I'm imagining they're thinking. Comments and questions. Um, would there be anything like,
4: for uh, about how he was able to write this? Because it's like a cult that had never been written before. So would it, do you think
0: it wouldn't like it to? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have never written any kind of a, uh, uh, really, I, I think I can say I've never written any kind of an animal. So I don't know very little about that. He's got to get out. I prefer the Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh...
3: You ever ridden right. a horse?
0: I've never ridden a horse. There's Yeah. I'm not really <laughs> looking for one. <laughs> 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 it I have had an opportunity a couple of times that I declined, so... Uh, but, you know, I think the idea of this being a, a cult that nobody's ridden is maybe appropriate for Jesus. It hadn't been defiled by anybody else riding on it. But I don't know how difficult it would have been to ride.
3: It
0: could be difficult, <laughs> <laughs> he created it, so he's got full control. <laughs> <right. laughs> <laughs> Back to Providence, here. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, yeah, if he can...
3: I'm not going to do that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> if it If it was impossible to ride, then Jesus was able to do what he needed to with the colt to ride it. But I, I, I really don't know anything about riding a
2: colt. So, so you think the multitude is more likely um, expressing their view of him being a physical king versus their view of, of seeing him uh, as the fulfillment of prophecy uh, in a spiritual sense? Yes.
0: Okay. Yes. That's what I think. Okay.
3: Because they turn on him
0: so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And that just seemed to be the common view.
3: It seems like if they really, you know, thought it was a spiritual kingdom they wouldn't
0: have turned on them like they did. Yeah, yes. Yes, I agree. Other comments and thoughts on this text?
1: How um, I guess how many people were there? Um, just because I keep thinking, okay, they're, they're going to spread their you know coats, their blankets out, and that's not going to go very far unless you have a lot of people or they pick them up and move them.
0: I well, I'm assuming there was quite a number. I mean, remember, Jesus from time to time has been dealing with some pretty humongous crowds. So I'm assuming at least several hundred but very possibly several thousand
3: where is um bethphage and bethany really to oh,
0: they're really close i forget on which like side miles? Yeah, like miles yeah a couple of
2: miles yeah, mile they're or two. just they're just yeah. there are
3: even two miles worth of people i i assume that they went all the way to jerusalem so,
0: um, yeah and i suppose it's possible they didn't start right at bethany and bethphage either i don't
2: so the word is out that he's, he's back he's coming
0: it's not this is not one of the secret uh, arrivals he's been headed for Jerusalem for a while yeah, now and yeah. that seems to have been clear this is the showdown
2: did everyone
3: know that
0: that mule hasn't never been written on before? I don't know. I don't know. It's a, I don't guess there's a way to tell by looking, is it? <laughs> it's all around maybe. I don't know. I the probably
3: right.
0: Yeah, the ones they got it from. Uh-huh. The owner that he pre prearranged <laughs> with. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you're going to
0: need it. <coughs> uh, the teacher always gets the last word. <laughs> All right. Well, good thoughts here tonight. And, uh, you know, it's good to, I really enjoy studying these things and just the uh, openness and being able to uh, talk through this. Uh, it's always helpful when we we'll just try to visualize the scenes, when we we'll try to just see the flow of thought and try to. You know, meditate a little bit on the applications. I mean, that's really helpful. And uh, uh, So let's not forget the lessons that that we learn as we go through this. And I know I should be here for some Thursdays to come. I don't know.